Welcome to the More Than 10 podcast, where we acknowledge the trauma healthcare workers and first responders experience every day and foster a safe place to discuss and process them. Today, we'll be introducing and hearing from someone very special. His name is John DeRosiers, also known as Jay, aka my uncle. He started his career in 1990 as an EMT and ER tech at Bay State Medical Center in Springfield, Mass. When he moved to Connecticut, he joined the fire department shortly after. He currently holds the rank of captain, which he has built up over the years. He's a fire instructor, aerial operator, pump operator, FF1, FF2, and is on a training committee for recruitment and retention. He's been doing great things in his community and with his fellow firefighters, and we can't wait to hear from him today. I'm sure he's full of stories. So join me in giving him a welcome. Hey, everyone. I'm here with Jay DeRochers, and for those who don't know, he's actually my uncle. So there's going to be some, definitely some laughter in this. <laughs> so kind of hard to take it serious, but also pretty serious. So. All right. All right. So in a serious note, Jay, oh my God, it's going to be I love your studio. This is amazing, like state of the art. I did paint the walls myself. I love it. Thank you so much. Um, But I already gave him an actual professional introduction to you. Okay. But in your own words, before we go in, just give us a brief overview of your experience as a firefighter and then what brought you to where you are today. Okay. So joined the fire department when I moved to Connecticut 20 years ago, roughly. I got into it because I like to help people. I obviously like the adrenaline. I certainly like the action. Um, I like the interacting with the fellow firefighters. Um, it's a lot of fun, to be honest with you. You get to break stuff. I almost swore. I can't swear. I almost <laughs> swore. You get to break things, but you also get to help people, and you also get to do what I feel is, is a good thing. So yeah, um, it's a lot of fun. I currently hold the rank of captain, but I started as a firefighter. Went through the academy like everybody else. Mm-hmm. Um, now I have moved up from lieutenant to captain about two years ago now. Congratulations. I'm also a fire instructor, so I do a lot of training. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm on our training committee. I'm also on our recruitment and retention committee and everything else they throw at me. So, But uh, it's, it's fun. It's, it's a lot of what I do for work. It's team building. It's improving people's skills. It's getting people to be more proficient at what they want to do. So. Mm-hmm. Um, and I get to, like I said, I get to put out fires in the meantime. Yeah, so that's awesome. I almost didn't make it here today because I thought we had a fire in my district, so I was heading that way, and it turned out to be nothing, so I came here. And you jump. You yes, jump I when do. that thing goes off. Yes, I do. He, <laughs> for those who don't know, whenever I'm at his house, he carries around the beeper, mm-hmm. and the thing goes off. Whenever it goes off, he's up. He's out. I'm out. Yep. He's got his own truck with, yep. like, exactly specifically right. for going with the lights and with the firefighter department um, license on it, and uh, you're ready. That's Correct. awesome. That's awesome. So then what drew you to the fire department to begin with? Did you know somebody? So, yeah, when I came to town, um, I got to know Steve Strouch, who's Mm -hmm. still in the fire department, and his kids and my kids are the same age and got to know each other. And he said one day, hey, you should check out joining the fire department. And I had actually applied for West Springfield Fire Department when I was still living in West Springfield. I was number five on the list. They hired four that year. Mm -hmm. The following year, we moved to Connecticut. So I kind of let it go because obviously you need a job and you got to pay your bills and make money. So then when Steve approached me, I said, you know what? Yeah, I, I think I would check it out. So I went down on a Monday night. I met all the guys, and it's been history since then. Wow, so, nice. What but, was your first thought on your like on your first 
scene that you ever went to? What were your first thoughts? Um, you're always nervous. If you're not nervous, you're not human. Yeah. I mean, people tell you, oh, I don't get nervous, I don't get scared. You're not human if that's if that's what you're saying. I yeah. mean, there's a type of nervous that you should be. There's a type of apprehensive, maybe not scared, but apprehensive you should be. But that's normal. That's yeah. that's what you do. Yeah. You're there to you're there for the greater good. You're here to help out the, the citizen or who, whoever it may be. Um, to, to they're in a bad place and help them get to a better place. Yeah, I agree with that. When I was doing orientation, I remember my ori um, my preceptor just kept saying. If you're not nervous at every delivery, you're not like you're too confident. Yeah, you're, you should be nervous. And that about gets how you in trouble. You do this, and yeah, that gets you in trouble. That exactly. It does. Exactly. All right. So speaking of this, I want to kind of start this conversation off, and kind of the reason why I brought you in here is because I want to bring us back to the conversation we had when I first got my RN license, and I want you to tell everyone what you, out of everyone, you, the first thing you said to me. So. I told you that you're going to, first I said congratulations, Yes. and yep. what you're doing is awesome. It's yeah. admirable, it's awesome, but you're going to now be in a club that a lot of people aren't in, where you're a first responder, you're going to see things that the average person doesn't see, you're going to experience things that the average person doesn't experience, and they're not going to understand, and you need to have an outlet for those experiences, mm-hmm. whether it's someone who you work with or a, a loved one or a friend or a stranger or it could be anyone mm-hmm. and I told you in six months set yourself a calendar reminder for yourself and do a mental health checkup mm-hmm. how am I feeling and then also remind three of your friends ask them call them reach out and say hey how are you doing with what you're doing you had a buddy working in the ED in yep. New Haven yep. and you had a couple other friends that are in the similar scenarios because you got to have a network yeah and you have to have an outlet and instead of drinking and eating because right. When I first started, that was our outlet. Mm-hmm. After 7 a.m. in the morning, we went to Collins Tavern and had drinks. Mm-hmm. Not that it wasn't fun, but that's <laughs> not necessarily the right outlet. So what I told you was to create a network and, and make sure you take care of yourself first because yeah. your primary responsibility is to take care of others, which is, again, it's a great profession, and I'm, I'm proud of you, yeah, I believe. Mm-hmm. But you got to have that outlet. you got to have a way to release what you've taken in. Yeah. And I, I don't think the schools prepare you for that. Because when I teach fire classes, we work with EMTs, and none of them have a clue. They have no idea what they're about to see and experience. So I let them all know, have some type of form of communication with someone that understands. Because you can talk to your mom about this stuff, but she's not going to understand. She's going to listen to you, which is key, but she's not going to understand it because she's never experienced it. So you got to have someone that has similar experiences as you do and have seen the things that you've seen. Because... One thing I, I always say is you can't unsee things. Yeah. You just can't. And yeah. as much as you try, your brain is very powerful. And you can't unsee some of the traumatic things that you're going to see. And you can't forget those things. Now, you can manage them and you can deal with them, but you can never unsee them. Right. So my point was to you to make sure you take care of yourself first. Yeah. And I, I remember that a lot because I remember, like, everyone was – um, it was just a time of like everyone's congratulating me. It was all good things, but then you kind of took the moment to make it a little more serious. And I, th- I thought that coming from anybody, it was best coming from you. Well, for me, it was something that I wish I, someone had done to me when I started that career as yeah. an EMT in 1990. Um, but I didn't get that. I didn't have that network. Um, circumstances be what they may, I was more on my own. You know, I kind of lived on my own and I didn't have that family connection or those friends yet in in the business that I could talk to. So 
you got to learn from my mistakes, I would say, yeah. and, and make sure you have, that's why I, I thought it was important to give you a head start on that. Yeah, and it definitely, it helped a lot, and I, when I had that moment in the, um, in the airport, it brought me back to what you said there, because that was kind of the first time where I realized, yeah, like, crazy, but your crazy. training kicked in, you did what you were supposed exactly. to do, you saved a life, that's awesome. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, I'm kind of, we're in two different kind of stages with this, because I feel like you've been doing this for years, you've you've really learned and honed in on, like, how to help yourself process the things. And the best you can with what you've given, obviously, there's always room for growing. Mm. So kind of in a, me as a new grad, I'm just kind of experiencing, like, everything firsthand of, like, the realizations of, like, oh, this is real. Like, this is lives Shit in my hands. Shit just got real. Shit just got real. Exactly. Yep. And we can swear when it comes to this. Okay. All right. <laughs> um, so I want to take you back to almost my position and just say, when was the first moment you realized, like, shit, this is way more than just putting out fires and saving lives. It's having lives in your hands. One of my first calls as an EMT, early 90s, I think it was 91 or 92, 291 in Springfield, we had a motorcycle under, slid underneath a truck and got decapitated. Wow. And his head was still in the helmet. And I can remember my partner in the ambulance and the other medics that were there kind of laughing. And that's where I learned the, the saying DRT, where they're dead right there. Oh, I've never heard that. Yeah. But it was their coping mechanism that I didn't understand yet, and mm-hmm. I thought that was like, wow, that's kind of harsh, and that's... But look at it from now, I look at it and go, okay, we, there was no life to save. The person died on impact. Yeah. It was their way of dealing with what they're seeing in the moment and making light of it, and it's not anything that you do in front of a family member or their, you know what I mean, or a camera, but yeah. it's a way for them to kind of justify what they had just seen and what they had just done or attempted to do because there was really no way to save that person right but that's when I really realized okay this is this is because the first year of your EMT career you do transport you take them to dialysis you go to the nursing homes you know you don't really do 911 calls yeah when I got thrown on a 911 truck it was it was eye-opening for sure where you go wow okay because transferring patients you get to talk to them and you you do your basic vitals and you know whatever and they're going to dialysis and you bring them back and whatever but um yeah that was that was the first i can still remember that incident like vivid yeah for sure that makes sense for sure and i guess my my question not going off of that is also when was the first time where maybe you were in the ambulance and you actually had a life in your hand and you were like what i do now determines the outcome of this, whether this person right. dies. Um, I remember that one too. Um, I was, so I took a shift in Holyoke um, for Holyoke um, AMR. It was Commonwealth back in the day, now AMR. But, um, and normally they don't allow basics to, to work Holyoke. It's an advanced life support. So mm-hmm. I was working with a medic and we got a cardiac arrest and the guy was between the bed and the wall. Mm-hmm. And obviously a larger gentleman went into car- a witness arrest we got there quick. We did our thing, and we brought him back. Wow. Now, unfortunately, he passed away a couple of days later. Yeah. Um, but it was like, wow, we actually got this guy back. He was asystole. He was flatlined. Wow. And we gave him the rounds of epiatropine lidocaine, shocked him, yeah. tubed him, did all that stuff. And he came back. He was viable, at least when we transported him to Holyoke Hospital. So yeah. it was, uh, yeah, I remember that, too. Yeah. And then how did you feel directly after that, like it after you dropped awesome. him off? It was pretty awesome. Yeah. It was pretty awesome. Adrenaline rush, everything of course, like that. Yeah. yeah. Did because, you ever come down the, off that adrenaline rush? Uh, well, yeah, eventually you do. <laughs> After a few cocktails, you do. But, uh, you know, don't forget, anytime you make a save like that in the field, people know about it. They hear about it. So they right. give you an attaboy and a high five. And 
you feel like you almost don't deserve it because that's what you're there to do. But I you should that. accept it. You should accept it because they're they're trying to be kind to you, and you should take that in stride. Yeah, so. and I, I felt that too after the airport. People were like, "You're a hero. You saved the but girl." Being they humble is okay me, to say, "I'm really not. I just did what I'm supposed to do." Exactly. And, and humble yeah. is a good way to be. Yeah, exactly. For sure. Um, I I agree, and I kind of I felt humble, but I also felt like eye opening, like. Oh my God! First response, they do this every day. It's gratifying, though. You it's, you did what you were trained to yeah. do, so that that's a, yeah, that's nothing true. wrong with that. That's true. So now you've obviously you've seen more than I can even imagine through all the years you've been doing this, um, yep. and which I feel like that's why you're a very good person to talk to about this idea of trauma. So I'm gonna throw some things out for you. So according to the Webster Dictionary, trauma is emotional shock following a stressful event or a physical injury, which may be associated with physical shock and sometimes leads to long-term neurosis, or it's just a physical injury. Um, you know, what do you think of this definition and what terms there stand out to you? Well, trauma is absolutely physical injury for sure, but there's also emotional injury. And, and I think that's where you're getting at here is you carry that with you and, and I really learned that lesson four years ago um, on Route 20 in East Granby when my buddy Pete rolled his truck, a fellow firefighter, he was a chief at the time, and when I jumped over the rail, the truck was on top of him, and I immediately recognized the truck, and I knew there was nothing we could do for him, but I was in his truck the weekend before we were going to a Jack and Jill, and being the first on scene for someone that you know fatal is, is very difficult. That's the emotional part that took me the hardest to get over with because at that time, that weekend, Tracy and the girls were in New Jersey at a dance contest, so I went home to an empty house. Right. And I remember and walking. Family, the, everyone. <laughs> I remember walking the dog around the neighborhood for about four hours because wow. I couldn't fall asleep. Obviously, you just went through this traumatic event. Right. But I didn't realize how much it really bothered me yeah. for probably six months. Wow, that's a long time. Until I finally talked to a professional. Because I carried it around, and, and the woman that I talked to, she was very good and, and really listened more than talked. But she told me, and I and I, I truly believe this is a good thing, is in an event like that, you it's kind of like carrying around a suitcase. Mm-hmm. It's baggage. Mm-hmm. And doing what I did, and, and I was upset by the scene for a number of reasons, and I, I won't get into details, but um, I was carrying around baggage, and I was carrying around like it was getting heavy. And she told me, she says, you know what? It's okay to put it down. It's not going anywhere. It's going to be there. But you don't have to carry it. You don't have to exert yourself emotionally and mentally carrying it around all the time. And she kind of gave me permission to move past it. Because it, it took me six months at least to, to move past it. And I still haven't gotten past it. I mean, I go to his gravesite every Christmas day. And, and I talk to him all the time, but... Um, yeah. A lot of guys in the firehouse, we text all the time, Pete would have loved this or Pete would have done this or yeah. whatever. But she gave me a good avenue to get past it. Mm-hmm. And that, and talking to a, prof- a professional as a 53-year-old male who's been doing this for so long is never something that you admit to. Because we're tough guys, right? Yeah. Firefighters are tough guys. and yeah. It's okay not to be tough. Yeah. And I tell a lot of our new recruits the same thing. It's okay not to be tough. It's yeah. okay to be emotional. It's okay to have... Those feelings, yeah. that's okay. That's normal. Because right. when I first started, no way. Firefighters, yeah. we don't cry. We don't show pain. You know, that's the way it was. Yep, it's the job you signed up And that's up not the that's right how, way. Yeah, that's how yeah. society sees it sometimes. So it's okay to have those emotions and feelings. So, yeah. And I, and I have finally 
put that suitcase down. And, yeah. and like I said, it doesn't go anywhere. I, right. I can still picture him clear as day wow. to this day, four years later. Wow. Now, I want to unpack that a little bit, just just so listeners can relate to this a little bit. What almost symptoms were you experiencing that made you kind of get to the point where you're like, I need help? Because I, like, in what so, ways was it really weighing on I you? I think I was probably agitated way more often. Little things set me off. Um, just probably didn't communicate very well with my wife. <laughs> Obviously, yeah. she took the brunt of most of it. Yeah. Um, sorry, Tracy. <laughs> um, just a lot of little things. Didn't sleep well at all. You know, you just, once you get those thoughts in your head, it's hard to get them out. And, uh, especially, and you recognize that this is what you're yeah, thinking of. Okay. Yeah, and that was a real distraction. So, um, And finally, I, I think I just got tired and said, you know, I probably should just talk to somebody. So yeah. um, it happens. So you have to, but you can't fix a problem until you admit you have a problem. So Big first step. Yep. Big first step. And my, my whole goal with this podcast is to allow people to, you know, say, to feel like it's safe to say I do have a problem. I need to find ways to process yep. it and get past it. And I would agree. I think this is a great forum, and I think you're yeah. doing a great job. So Thank you. if Thank anyone you. can learn anything from this, that would be awesome. Yeah. Even one person. That's so. how I feel, too. All right. That's how I feel, too. So back to our little conversation beforehand, I want to throw another stat at you. According to Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration, 61% of men and 51% of women report at least one traumatic event in their lifetimes. So what that tells me is whether you're a first responder, healthcare worker, or just a normal person, you can relate to the fact that when there's trauma, you're not, it's almost hard to see a way out on how to process it, and you've got to look for those ways. Because um, everyone's going to experience it at least one time. But um, I feel like when a lot of people think of trauma in the healthcare field, they think of like the shows and the movies where healthcare workers and first responders, they're just seeing the trauma, the physical injury that the patients and that the people have. And it's just, you're just picturing their response to that trauma. But I almost feel that people don't stop to think about the trauma from the healthcare worker and the first responder's perspective. And my question to you is, do you think in that, do you think that, you know, we even recognize it as trauma? Um, no, it's hard to recognize until it gets to be a problem because mm-hmm. everybody, again, depending on what field you're in, you, you think you're infallible. You, you know, you're a police officer, you're a nurse, you're a firefighter, you're, you know, you're there for the greater good and you don't realize, which is why I said in the beginning, take care of yourself, do a mental check. Yeah. How am I really feeling? You know what I mean? What do I really think about what I'm doing? And so, and it isn't for everybody. That's not why, that's why not everybody's a fireman or a policeman or EMT or a nurse or whatever. Because it's not for everybody, but if it is for you, then you got to realize you got to have that that self check. You got to yeah. have that uh, intuition to say, "Yeah, I, I probably need to process this a little bit better." Because most of the time, you turn to—I never to drugs, but you turn to alcohol yeah. or, or bad behaviors, just like bad habits. Yeah, to yeah. Get you become less active, and that's why I told you too: get a workout routine or yeah. get a partner. Do something to let that steam out versus bottle bottle it it up. Yeah, I agree. Yep. Um, And again, that kind of goes to, we keep coming back to why this is all important to talk about. Um, So speaking of, you keep talking about like having that partner, having that accountability, having that support group. How do you show support to your fellow first responders and how do you feel that some of them have been a really good support to you? So I got to tell you, there's um, anytime in the fire service that we have a fatal 
we immediately have an incident review afterwards. And as an officer, I make sure that every one of my guys has the opportunity to talk to me one-on-one or anyone about what they'd seen. And, and it doesn't have to be immediate. It could be three months, six months, a year down the road. And actually, I can tell you of an instance. We had a, a fatal on Day Hill Road, car versus telephone pole. And it was one of my firefighters' friends. Kate just came from a party, high rate of speed. Unfortunately, we coded him in the street. He didn't survive. And I can remember telling, can I use his name, Juwan? If you want. I can. I remember telling Juwan. I said, you know, you're you're not going to process this right away. I'm here. If you need to talk to me at any time, today, tomorrow, next month, next week, next year, mm-hmm. I've been there. I know what this is like. Yeah. I can ex- relate. I've had this exact experience and it probably took him three months and and actually we sat down in the firehouse one day and we talked for about a half an hour and Mm -hmm. and it was a good conversation and again he did most of the talk and I did most of the listening but it's we do that a lot where just checkups hey how you doing and it's something that we've just learned I say just learned a couple years now but you know 20 years ago we didn't do that right there was that was taboo you didn't didn't talk about your feelings you didn't talk about the incident Right. You just buried it and kept moving on. So right. um, I think there's still a long way to go, especially in the fire service. Yeah. Um, but we're starting to recognize, you know, years ago you wanted to be the salty firefighter. You know, your gear's all sooty and crusty, and that's all cancer. Yeah. Know? So clean your gear, wash your stuff, take care of yourself. You know what I mean? It's not cool to, to come down with cancer, you know what I mean? <laughs> um, but 20 years ago, that was it. You know, the saltier your helmet was and the, your gear, the better you were, and yeah. That's just a bad impression. You know yeah. what I mean? That's just so every fire I wash our gear and we clean our masks and we clean our packs and we make sure everything's good to go and get all that stuff off of you. Yeah. And go home, take a shower and make sure you, you take care of yourself. Wow. But that's all new to the fire service and, and I'm sure there's other services that it's new as well. But yeah. Um, but yeah, you, you gotta have that outlet and you gotta talk to people. You gotta reach out. Yeah. And like I said, just every six months your friends how you doing how you making out how you processing mm-hmm. and they'll go oh, okay you sure you can talk to me mm-hmm. obviously one-on-one it's easier in person than text or over the phone yeah. but because uh, you can gauge the reactions in person versus over yeah. a text or a phone call but um yeah it's, that's what's yeah. what you got to do who was that person for you like what who made who showed you that this type of support is beneficial so there's a couple guys um that i talked to Quite frequently, one of them is um, a co-friend of Pete and I's, this guy, Glenn Van Neal. He's from East Granby, and he's a captain as well. And we went to school together, and we did fire officer together and fire instructor together. And he's he's um, he was, he's that guy for me that I can call him. And Craig Moran as well from East Granby is another one. He's a full-time Bridgeport firefighter. But there's a couple guys that will – we do checkups once in a while. Hey, how you doing? What's going on? That type of stuff. So yeah, that's good. Um, good yeah, to have that outlet and like taking that tip from you. I feel that me and my like nursing friends, we have that um, outlet together as well. And I feel like it's really important to check up and just say, you know, how are you doing anxiety wise? How any particular thing that you want to get off your chest, stuff like that. And I know that I have those conversations one on one with them too. Um, and it's really been beneficial. But I also think that we're almost seeking tools in our toolbox as well. Sure. More than just, you know, like talking about it, um, you know, like what things can we do for ourselves that um, when, you know, someone isn't available to talk about this, 
when I'm coming home off a shift and somebody's already on their shift and I just need to sit down and like process, process it all, yep. you know, like what do you do when you're alone? It happens. So you got to be able to, it's hard to shut your brain off. Your brain's a very intelligent, your brain's a very powerful organ. It's, you got to learn to manage and, and hopefully not with alcohol or pills or whatever else people do, but um, it's difficult. It's, yeah. And I think the further along you get in your career, the better coping skills you get hopefully. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, when you're by yourself, sometimes it's staying busy. It's distracting yourself, whether mm-hmm. it's going for a walk or a workout or I go play golf or whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. You got to figure out how to distract yourself because mm-hmm. once you get but on that train of thought, it's hard to get off. That's true. But to that point, would you agree with my statement saying distract yourself, but also distract yourself intentionally where you also intentionally set aside time to process it? Absolutely. All right. Absolutely. Because I think, I think that a lot of people use distraction, but not as a healthy mechanism. Yep. And they just keep going, 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 and then it all builds up, but they don't even know at what point what's You're going down the that. rabbit hole at that point. Exactly. Yep. So yep. I think to that point, you know, use distraction, but use it as a way to get yourself through things until you can come across that time that you set aside to either talk to a person or do whatever you're going to do to process it. I Agreed. think it's a good way of saying that. Agreed. Yeah. So what would you recommend? You kind of touched on a lot, but is there anything else you would recommend to those in your position or a similar position when it comes to processing trauma? Um, I think the, they always say the best way to learn is to teach. So to do something like this, this is a great platform. For someone who's new in the career, you've, you're way ahead of your colleagues, I can tell you right now. Because I'm sure there's nurses that have been there five, ten years that probably could learn something from this. That, yeah. That, and I'm, I'm, like I said, I'm proud of you for doing this. This is, this is a great way for you to learn to deal by teaching other people and exposing what you're dealing with. So, yeah. um, I don't know. I, I think that's that's pretty admirable. That's pretty awesome. So, and, and hopefully people will listen, and, and hopefully um, <laughs> they'll they'll learn something from it, or at least know that there's a there is an avenue for you somewhere. Right. And everybody's avenue is different, and, right. and that's okay. But you got to find out which avenue works best for you with stress and and figure out how to deal right. with it. Right. And in my position, my I'm really just like with all the interviews I'm doing, I'm learning as I go. And I sure. part of my motivation for doing that is just because, you know, I admire you in the sense of like you are this person that all these younger newer people, they can look up to. You're that um almost like veteran in the field, so to say. But, you know, it's yeah. almost like you've been through so much that you know what types of things to say have experience on what's worked for you and when I'm sitting here having these conversations with my peers I don't know the answers so part of my motivation for doing this podcast is to learn with them learn myself learn sure. from all these people who have all this experience but don't forget the veterans also them. know what to tell you to quiet you down and not give you the real truth so <laughs> that's true that's for sure <laughs> so yeah that's true. the longer you've been in it the better you are at hiding it yeah so. I know that's true too so hopefully absolutely. anyone can learn stuff from this absolutely but I, I really want to learn to be that solid support system to have answers to give to people who come to me I think you got a great start yeah this is a great start for you so Definitely. so all right with that being said I'm going to leave this open-ended to you is there anything else you'd like to add on this topic um no I think it's an important topic hopefully people will listen and 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 even if you don't respond right away or take something away from it, eventually you will because yeah. you're going to see things that, like I said, you normally, normal people, I say normal people, the average person won't see. They won't have to deal with. They won't have to cope with. And there are going to be times that are going to be dark times where you just can't 
deal with something, reach out. Yeah. If you can't handle it on your own, reach out. And don't be too proud or too professional to, to ask for help because yeah. I learned that lesson. Learn from my lessons. I learned the hard way. So <laughs> I've always learned the hard way. So, uh, But especially with something like this where it can it alters your lifestyle. It, your lifestyle is different now than the average person. Yeah. Because of what you do, it's different ways. So, and that's yeah, absolutely. And you're going to carry that around with you, and that and that's okay. Yeah, that's okay. And yeah. not everybody's going to understand, and people will call you names or ca- characterize you in a certain way. And as long as you know your true self, it doesn't matter what they say. Yeah, never has to me anyway, because um, you're in it for the right reasons and and you're doing the right things. And just take care of yourself first, yeah. number one, because yeah. you didn't. We always say in the fire service, we didn't start the fire. We're there to put it out and make things better. Mm-hmm. So you can't take all that responsibility on. You have to know your role and say, hey, I'm there to try to get that person or family out and put the fire out and, and do all those things. But I didn't start it, but I'm here to try to make it better. Yeah. So you got you to gotta do that with yourself too. Yeah, so. I agree. And I'm going to recap for our listeners kind of some of the things that we touched on along this interview, just as like the tools that you've thrown out there that I've collected in this conversation. Okay. First being, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but... First being, you know, have a time to almost check in with yourself. Have a regular intentional check in with yourself to yep. say, how is my mental health? How is my anxiety? How are my sleeping habits? Um, how do I feel I'm reacting to other people? Um, and what may be the cause if any of this is off? Yep. And if you find that to be a problem, your next step is to go talk to somebody. Have a support group. Have one person. Have whoever you feel is good to be vulnerable with about these topics and someone who preferably will somewhat understand and relate to what you're going through versus then just having like you pointed out like my mom who love her to death she's a great listener but she just wouldn't understand completely the things I'm talking about and the weight that I'm feeling and it helps having that person who somewhat understands the weight that you're feeling absolutely um the other things you're saying are use distraction use distraction intentionally and wisely um use it to get out of your rabbit holes in order to get you to that point where you can actually set aside time to process what you're feeling. Mm -hmm. Yep. And um, I feel like lastly, just support other people as well. Yep. If you can be there, whether it's emotionally, physically, on the phone, just let them know that you're there. And and eventually they'll come talk to you, and hopefully they will. If not, at least you've, like I said, you've you've done your part to try to help them get to where they got to go. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Well, cool. thank you for joining no, me. No, thank this you for having me. I thought I was getting lunch or something, but I got no food. I got no drinks. I I'll got take, nothing. I'll take care Cheapers. of you. What kind we of are, show is this? We are in a house. I'll take care of you. I usually charge an appearance fee, but I, did, I waived that for you today. But jeepers. I didn't even get a sandwich or anything. Correct. All right, friends. It is that time where I must love and leave you. Do yourself a favor today and find a way to give yourself more than 10. If you like this podcast and would like to leave a comment on the Podbean app, that would mean so much. Even more so, a share on any social media platform or to a friend would be much appreciated. As always, thanks for listening. I look forward to seeing you back on the next episode.